0: Last weekend while I was traveling, uh, Randy Frazee filled in and took care of the center section of the book of Acts. And word reached me that he alleged that the participation level of people bringing their Bibles and their copies of the story was higher in his preaching than with mine. That couldn't be true. I mean he's a great guy and all so here's what I've done I've placed scanners in the ceiling and they're gonna actually measure participation level today of those of you who have brought your copy of the Bible or your copy of the story and as you hold it up today we're gonna measure it scientifically now what I need you to do is turn the barcode toward the ceiling and those of you gentlemen who happen to have bald spots, if you can cover those, because we want the reading to be honest now. Although, if any of you want to stick it up and down a few times, I won't tell. Okay, but we're going to read this. Are we ready to push the button up there? Okay, here we go. One, two, three. Hold them up. Hold them up high. We're reading. We're scanning. We're scanning. We're scanning. Keep it up. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh my man. Ninety nine point nine five percent. Whoa, I said good. You know, I'm glad it wasn't ninety-nine point nine nine because you might think we staged that. But ninety-nine point nine five percent. Take that phrase. Let's pray together and then we'll get to work. Heavenly Father, please have mercy upon the one who speaks, because his sins are many, and help us to see Jesus today. Pray your blessing on Randy Frazee, and upon this church, and upon our city, we offer this prayer through the name of Christ, amen. You may not have known it, but there was a time in history in which two of the most Famous men in the history of humanity lived in the same city. The Apostle Paul and Emperor Nero actually overlapped for a short time in the middle of the seventh decade of the first century. They both lived in the city of Rome. Of course, no one took note of Paul. Everyone was fascinated by Nero, this young, flamboyant emperor. Oprah would have wanted to interview Nero. Larry King would have had Nero on the show. Obama would have staged a state dinner for Nero. Nero was the hero. And the Apostle Paul? Well, Paul was the zero. If anyone knew anything about the Apostle Paul, they would have regarded him as that odd, eccentric, religious, fanatic, From that outpost of a place called Israel, who continues to talk about this teacher named Jesus of Nazareth, like the man was some sort of God. And so Rome did what they did with people like that they locked him up and they left him in prison. So while he was suffering and growing old in prison, Nero was enjoying life in the palace and he was enjoying the spotlight he was the one with the future ahead of him had you interviewed the common man on the streets of Rome and asked the question who's going to make the greatest difference in the world Nero or Paul who do you think they would have said well Nero or they would have said Paul who Nero had everything going for him for one thing he was married to Pompeia Sabina A beautiful head-turning blonde who took daily baths in donkey's milk to keep her skin soft they kept 400 donkeys on property just for that purpose servants would dry her down with swans down and then massage her hands with the mucus of crocodiles Nero liked soft skin and whatever Nero liked Nero got He used to stage lavish parties and invite himself to be the entertainment. At the age of 25, about the time the Apostle Paul was in prison, he deified himself and erected a colossus, a a, a large statue, 120 feet tall, with his own figure at the top. Rome had no choice but to look up to Nero And Rome would have looked down on Paul. The old journeyman, the old rabbi, really wasn't much to look at. Surviving from the first century is this one description of Paul's physical appearances. He was bald-headed, bow-legged, strongly built, a man small in size, with meeting eyebrows and a larger nose. I guess he kind of had that Susan Boyle look to him. Just didn't look like much. And were we able to look closer, we would see how scars spiderwebbed his back and old wounds stiffened his joints. It had been a rough journey. Five times I received at the hands of the Jews the 40 lashes less one, he once recounted. Three times I have been beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I have been shipwrecked. A night and a day I have been adrift at sea in danger from rivers, robbers, my own people, Gentiles, in cold and hardship, in hunger and thirst, in cold and exposed. It's a wonder the old man can still walk, but walk he has. You'll find his sandal prints all over the then known world. Corinth, Ephesus, Thessalonica, Galatia, Colossa. He made side trips to Jerusalem. Cyprus, Crete, Malta, Athens, Syracuse, and Rome. And these weren't, these weren't tourist trips, mind you. He didn't go to sunbathe or, or deep sea fish. These were working trips of ministry and teaching and healing. When he was welcomed, he was prone to stay in a place uh, like he did in Antioch for three years to establish the church. Or Ephesus for two years where according to one source he would work all morning and then preach in the afternoons he would preach in the temple that was called the Hall of Tyrannus kind of a public lecture hall run by a man by the name of Tyrannus and he would make it available in the afternoons and we believed that in the afternoons the Apostle Paul would use this as his teaching point from the 10th hour I'm sorry, from the 5th hour until the 10th hour, that is from 11 a.m. to 4 p.m. He did this every day for two years except on the Sabbath. A little math tells us that's 3,120 hours of teaching over two years. The guy was tireless. He was tireless. Nothing slowed him down. And when he wasn't preaching or wasn't visiting a city or he wasn't traveling, he was writing. That's the reason we cherish his thinking to this day, right? He was writing the letters to the Roman church, the Galatian church, the Corinthian church, the Ephesian church, and then those personal pastoral epistles to Titus and, and to Timothy. He was writing. He's arguably the most influential author in the history of mankind. In between journeys, he would pick up that pen, that quill with with papyrus and he would write letters that would be written read throughout the churches and we treasure these words phrases like be anxious for nothing our citizenship is in heaven he spoke of a love of Christ which passes knowledge who shall separate us from the love of Christ old Paul the poet would ask and then he dedicated the next four paragraphs to answering his own question Nothing. Paul could turn an inkwell into healing ointment. But boy, he could turn a a pen into a surgeon's scalpel. And he would go in and cut out the tumors of the church with sentences like this one. Who has bewitched you that you should not obey the truth? And then to the Corinthian church, you do wrong and cheat and you do those things to your brethren. The guy was nothing if not passionate. And you get the sense that he was as much prophet as he was pastor. Wanting to choke you one minute and die for you the next. But whether he was comforting or whether he was correcting the church. Here's one thing we know for certain about the Apostle Paul. He was punch drunk on Christ. I mean, he was punch drunk on Christ. I'm not sure he ever quite got over that Damascus Road experience. Remember, he was on his way to Damascus to kill Christians when Christ made a personal appearance to him that left him blinded and stunned. I'm not sure he ever quite got over the fact that he, the old legalist, would become the proclaimer of love that he the Jew of all Jews would become the missionary to the Gentiles that he the self-proclaimed chief of sinners would become the courier of God's mercy and that he the one who mastered the Old Testament law would become the greatest proclaimer of grace in the history of mankind that's what we call him the Apostle of grace that's his favorite word summarize his entire theology with this one sentence from the book of Ephesians for by grace you have been saved." Paul is the one who helps us to see that we can earn salvation no more than we can earn a mother's love it's a gift by grace you have been saved. Justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. And grace is what turned his world upside down. And when he discovered grace, the apostle, or the old Saul became the apostle Paul, and Paul hit the road, and the road hit back. On his final trip to Jerusalem, the religious leaders grew so jealous that they tried to kill him. Maybe you had a chance to read your chapter in the story. If so, you'll remember this paragraph on page 365. It's the second paragraph on the page. The whole city was aroused, and people came running from all directions. Seizing Paul, they dragged him from the temple, and immediately the gates were shut. While they were trying to kill him, news reached the commander of the Roman troops that the whole city of Jerusalem was in an uproar. Now, these are, these are Paul's countrymen. These are, they share his ancestry, and yet they're trying to kill him. He's not in a foreign country. But receptions like this were just part of the day-to-day life of Paul. And, and if you read further, you remember that after this attempt on his life, he was sent to Caesarea Philippi where he awaited trial. That took two years. And then he was loaded on a boat with robbers and troublemakers and sent to Rome for trial. And midway through that journey across the Mediterranean Sea, a hurricane, a storm, pounced on the boat like a hawk on a rat. And they nearly drowned. And he was left stranded and soaked on an island. And You read the story of the Apostle Paul and you think, how did this guy survive this? One beating after another, one calamity after another, one challenge after another, one struggle after another. Let me just stop and say, for some of you, that's not just an academic question. That's a real question. Because some of you are facing that in your own life. One challenge after another, one struggle after another. And maybe your storms don't come in the form of the Mediterranean Sea but they come in the form of health issues or, or family issues. And maybe your attacks don't land you in a Roman prison but, but some of you know exactly what it's like to be persecuted for your faith. Others have been promoted over you because of your belief in Jesus and you've get, been given the cold shoulder from people you love and, and care about and maybe been ignored because of your faith in Christ. And does it help you to know that this, the most influential Christian of all time, save Jesus himself, had to face so many challenges. I think we need to know that sometimes a Christian life is a rough life, but it's a good life. And the Apostle Paul would not have traded his life for any other life and we read in his epistles, this man of passion and love who counted it a joy to struggle on behalf of Christ. In the middle of page 377, or Second Timothy chapter 1, verses 8 through 12, listen to what he says to young Timothy, who is somewhat of a son in the faith to him. He said, do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord or of me, his prisoner but join with me in suffering for the gospel by the power of God who has saved us and called us to a holy life not because of anything we have done but because of his own purpose and grace this grace was given us in Christ Jesus before the beginning of time but it has now been revealed through the appearing of our Savior Christ Jesus who has destroyed death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel and of this gospel I was appointed a herald and an apostle and a teacher that is why I'm suffering as I am yet this is not cause for shame because I know whom I have believed and I am convinced that he is able to guard what I have entrusted to him until that day you just read the secret of Paul's strength you just read the secret of Paul's strength he anchored himself to a purpose that was higher than his life He he realized that he was a part of a work that began before time began and that will continue long after this life is over. Do you do the same? Are you anchoring yourself to something that is higher than this life? The terminology we're using for this is upper story and lower story. Here in the lower story, there's all kinds of chaos and confusion and imprisonments and struggles and sickness and disease And sometimes we think this is all there is. But the Christian realizes that up above this, there is an upper story. That God has a plan that began before time and will continue after this version of earth. And he uses the upper story to administrate the lower story. And everything in the lower story is fitting into a perfect plan. We may not understand it, but like the Apostle Paul, we can say this is for God's glory and it's ultimately going to work out for good so while we're challenged and occasionally discouraged we do not despair we don't give up we hang in there we hold on I remember when I served as a missionary in Brazil learning the Portuguese language they had a wonderful phrase for holding on anyone could hold on they would say if a person has stick-to-itiveness they have what's called gaha G-A-R-R-A, and the word gaha means claws, like the claws on the the talons that a falcon has, to to hold on. And that's what we need. Sometimes we just need to stick our fingernails into the side of the wall and hold on and and not give up because we believe that God is working this all for good. No paragraph testifies to this more than my personal favorite paragraph ever written by the Apostle Paul. It's... On page 378, or 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 6 through 8. Paul says, I am already being poured out like a drink offering, and the time for my departure is near. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. And now there is in store for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. And not only to me, but also to all who have longed for his appearing. Here is a man who is writing these words within earshot of the footsteps of his own executioner. My time is here. It's my last day. But I don't despair because I have fought the good fight. Are you fighting the good fight? I know you're fighting a fight. We all do. Life has its fights. But are you fighting the good fight? The fight for souls. The fight for what is right. The fight for what will endure. The fight for that which is eternal. Are you fighting the good fight? I'd hate to reach the end of my life and say, you know, everything I fought for is about to end. Don't you? I want to fight for something that's going to last for eternity. Fight the good fight. And I have finished the race. I've done what I was sent to do. I have accomplished what God sent me to accomplish and so now I'm ready for my life to be poured out like a drink offering Oh, what a eulogy what a statement and what hope from what we can understand within short order after writing those words the Apostle Paul was beheaded what began on the Damascus Road was concluded on a Roman chopping block. And I would imagine that it didn't make the headlines in Rome. (laughs) That if anyone noticed, they probably thought, well, that's what you do to people like that. Because Nero was the hero, right? Nero was the one where you had to ask anybody on the streets of Rome, who's going to make the big difference in the future? Who's going to make the big difference? Why? It's going to be Nero. But history teaches otherwise. Just four years after the death of the Apostle Paul, Nero, then at the age of 29, went into a servant's apartment, distraught and despondent, paranoid and lonely. His first wife, I'm sorry, his second wife had killed his first wife, and he had murdered his second with a kick into her pregnant stomach. And now he took his own life. You know, you have to look really hard to find a cathedral dedicated to St. Nero. But you don't have to look very far to find an edifice dedicated to St. Paul. I can't say I've ever read an epistle by Nero. Quite honestly, I don't know a person who is named Nero. I knew a puppy named Nero. (laughs) But I know a lot of Pauls and a lot of Paulines. And I conclude by saying I'm looking into the faces of some right now. Some ordinary people of quiet courage. And maybe you're laboring away in relative anonymity just doing your thing for the glory of God you're loving your kids you're teaching those first graders you're manning the fire station you're showing up at work you're hanging in there with that grumpy husband or you're loving that painfully difficult wife you're just taking it a day at a time life comes with challenges life comes with storms and what I want you to know is that you are a living epistle and do not underestimate how God is going to use your life. When you watch television or read People magazine you'll see a lot of Nero's, a lot of people walking the red carpets, a lot of people with soft skin, a lot of self-proclaimed emperors. Don't overestimate their influence. The real change-makers those who are quietly working beneath the surface off the radar screen touching lives one life at a time and you are one of those keep it up don't be discouraged don't be disheartened most of us well we look awfully ordinary And the church with all of her bumps and bruises looks terribly ordinary Oh, just look what happens when we open our mouths and we begin to sing. Amen.